I'm Kate Hills and I'm on a one-woman mission to save UK manufacturing. In 2008, I gave up my 20-year career as a fashion buyer because I was disillusioned with how much product was being sourced overseas and I set out to uncover some of the amazing businesses that were still making in Britain. Since founding Make It British, I've discovered that there is not only still tons of manufacturing taking place in the UK, but that it's a thriving industry. I invite you to join me each week when I'll be telling the stories behind some of the best British-made brands and manufacturers and offering advice to those that want to make in the UK. So with no further ado, let's get on with the show. Hello and welcome to episode 14 of the Make It British podcast. And welcome to 2019. So to start the new year, I have got a very special guest for you today as I'm going to be interviewing Ian McLean, who is the managing director of knitwear brand John Smedley, which is the oldest operating factory in the world. So for those of you unfamiliar with the John Smedley brand, it is one of the finest knitwear manufacturers in the world, but also the oldest. The company was established 235 years ago at the start of the Industrial Revolution, and they still operate out of the same factory in Matlock in Derbyshire that they always have. Now, I've been to their mill on three occasions now, and it never fails to fascinate me. It is so seeped in history, and much of it, it just looks like you imagine it might have done a couple of hundred years ago. You know, they've got the same buildings with the sawtooth roof, uneven floors, low beams in some of the rooms. And in parts of the, in the mill where the knitting is done, there are like, there's like rows and rows of machines lined up, whirring away, and a rainbow of different coloured panels dropping out of the bottom of them. And it's like, it's amazing. If ever you get a chance to go, you really should. And um, one of my favourite parts of the factory is the linking room and then you've got rows of ladies sitting at linking machines joining all the panels the knitted panels together and if you've never seen hand linking done and you're not aware what the process is what it is is where they get one of the panels and they take every single little loop to attach it to the corresponding panel. And in the case of John Spendley knitwear, that might be something like 30 little loops per inch. So there's hundreds of these little loops and the ladies get a little kind of hook tool and they put it onto, they take one loop and they hook it onto a little needle and then they take the corresponding loop and they hook that onto the same needle and then the process is, is joined together. And you, you can only do it by hand. There's no machine that can replace what they're doing. So linkers in a knitting factory are such an important part of the business. And it's why knitwear factories really like to hold on to their linkers. And if ever they lose them, it becomes a real bottleneck in the production. And actually at John Smedley, they've got several young people in the factory who are training up to be linkers because sadly it's a, it is a bit of a dying skill linking. And I think it's partly because knitwear design courses don't teach linking anymore. But John Smedley are training up these linkers and they've probably got, I would say, about three dozen of them sitting there working. It's amazing. 
So Ian and I are both on the board of the UKFT and in this particular incident when I did this interview it was I was there because at the mill because we were holding the UK Fashion and Textile Association board meeting at the mill. So all of the board members got a chance to have a bit of a tour and we held the meeting in the boardroom at the John Smedley Mill in in Matlock and this room just has to be seen to be believed. It's got like wood panelled walls all the way around and lining on the walls are paintings of each one of the the John Smedley family that has run the business over the generations. And, and Ian McLean is actually the eighth generation of the family, though I, he is the only one who hasn't got a painting on the wall at the moment. He seems to have escaped that particularly particular Smedley rite of passage at the moment. Um, but when we did this, this trip with the UKFT board, we actually got to go into a part of the factory that I'd not been to before, which was the yarn store. And that's where they used to keep all the yarn. It's really kind of cold. It's right next to where the the, the um, water is that runs through the factory. Um, and it's it's lined in wooden alcoves. And, and in these alcoves, you've got people, they've carved graffiti. All the workers from over the years have carved graffiti into the wood. And obviously they would have spent time in there um, with all the yarn and sorting all the yarn out. And actually the, the difference between the yarn store, wooden walls and the boardroom, I mean, it's just it's just amazing. It's a really fascinating place to go to. It is seeped in history. So this actual interview here with Ian was conducted when I toured the mill with the, um, the UK Fashion Textile Association, but unfortunately it would have been too noisy to actually record inside the mill. So this interview we did in Ian's office it is recorded on a handheld mic and there are a few mic noises that I'm hoping my editor is going to be able to get out here. But I, it really won't spoil your enjoyment of this interview. It's a fantastic interview. Ian talks about all the challenges that come with operating such an old mill and how he's moving that business into the 21st century. What He's making it a business, a sustainable business that will operate for hopefully another 200, 300 years. It's, it's a brilliant interview. Enjoy. Right, Ian, thank you very much for joining me today. It's a real pleasure to be at the Smedley factory. Um, I was particularly impressed by the boardroom we're in with all the pictures of all of your relatives. Mm -hmm. how, just how long has Smedley been, um, been going for? Tell us a little bit about the history. Well, Smedley, the company, has been going for uh, since 1784. So next year, actually, we will have a 235-year anniversary, and we've got some marketing ideas to celebrate that. Uh, but what it does, really, if you think about the history, it takes us right back to very nearly the beginning of the Industrial Revolution. The very first factory was built by Richard Arkwright, not more than two miles away from here in the Derwent Valley, and he was using the power of the water from the Derwent uh, River to scale up his cotton spinning machinery that he'd invented and got patents on at Cromford Mills. And it was only 13 years after that uh, that we built, uh, sorry, the Smedley family built the factory here uh, in 1784. So there's a, the fact that you use, is it you're the oldest operating UK factory, is that correct? Have I got that right? Yeah, I, I, I would say yes. Um, if you take the beginning of the Industrial Revolution as being the beginning of the factory system, which is generally considered to be, uh, then our factory would be the oldest continuously operating factory 
in the world in that case. So your building here, we've had a little tour around, um, obviously brings with it some challenges then, doesn't it? Because you're still um, operating in this, this old building. So um, how, how is that currently challenging what you're doing and what are you doing to sort of bring it into the 21st century? Well, to put it into context, we have here um, at, well, space, 62,000 square feet of buildings, which were built, well, at any point during the last 200 years. Um, you've got many buildings built in the 1930s, the 1910s, maybe even the 1960s. Extensions of buildings, buildings that have been repurposed, um, virtually no insulation, no heating or cooling control in this site. You've got a factory site which is built in a valley and it has six levels to it. Uh, it's a very, very complex place to manufacture and therefore a very costly place to manufacture. Um, and energy use, um, you might say here, has been um, extravagant is probably the word I would use uh, over, the, over the decades. We have a number of systems uh, which use um, electricity, uh, heating oil, uh, which are you know, very antiquated and we don't capture or efficiently use the energy at all. Um, and I can think of three particular projects that we'd like to, 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 to do to make things more efficient. One of which we have completed in the last two or three years, which is to convert all of our lighting to LED lighting from um, uh, from tubes, from, from um, fluorescent tube lighting. And that has reduced our lighting bill by a third almost immediately when we did that. So the payback on that investment was very, very good. And of course, those savings are continuous from there on because LED lighting is very efficient and it lasts for a very long time. The second project, which actually has taken three years to bring to fruition and will be completed in the next month, is to... Um, change our old steam boilers. We have two 10-ton uh, steam boilers which work in conjunction with each other to provide steam for the factory in the wintertime for heating but also for production. And they were built, oh, I would say over 50 years ago. I think they're older than me. We bought them in 1972 and they were second-hand when we bought them. And they've lost a lot of their efficiency over that time. And also they are fired up with uh, a, a fuel called heavy fuel oil, which if you're in the Navy, you'll know fuels and naval ships traditionally. But it's a very, very carbon intensive and polluting fuel. And it's also um, a very difficult fuel to work with because to make it um, liquefied enough to run, you actually have to warm, up, warm it up, which is bonkers. We won't go into that. But anyway, it's, it's 1950s or 1960s technology. We are still using today in 20, 2018. So what we're going to do there is replace the old boilers with brand new uh, boilers, which are much more efficient and, can be, and computer controlled and all the rest of it. And we're also switching our energy from um, heavy fuel oil to natural gas. So we've paid to have a very large gas pipe put in um, all the way from the village, which is over two miles from here, to the factory in order to supply the boilers with natural gas. And that, we believe, will bring our cost of that energy down from about half a million pounds a year currently to about £300,000 a year going forward. So a £200,000 a year saving potentially, depending on what happens to oil and gas prices, uh, over the next few years, which is a massive thing for the company. 
And this all makes your product much more sustainable as well, doesn't it, in the way that you're producing it. Do you, will you be, um, how will you be letting the, the customer know about all these different changes you're making? Have you got other ideas for producing a more sustainable product? Yes. I mean, I think the, the third project, which we'd love to get to eventually, is all to do with um, hot water. So we produce a lot of hot water. We heat water up from its cold state right up to nearly boiling for our dyeing processes and other, and other uh, washing processes. And we don't capture any of the heat in that. And, you know, going forward, talking about sustainability, well, the first thing is the sustainability of the company is what you've got to talk about. It's been going for 235 years, but we want it to go for another 200. So we've got to get these costs and these uses of energy and water and other things down in order to survive for a long period. And the way we would get that message out to the consumer is um, through all of our marketing materials, through our websites, through our social media interactions, and help them to understand that not only is it important for the sustainability of the business, it's important for the sustainability of the products, and it's important to the family and everybody who works here that we, that we do do that kind of stuff for the future. Um, it's also important, actually, and this is not insignificant, to getting and retaining a royal warrant. So we have a royal warrant from Her Majesty the Queen for supplying um, garments to her. And the committees that oversee these uh, kind of awards are very, very keen on see seeing improvements in sustainability from the businesses that they give the awards to. So we have to demonstrate that we are always moving forward in order to retain that amazing thing called a Royal Warrant. And do you think the fact that you've got that Royal Warrant is really important to your customers? We, we certainly believe so. I mean, it's, quite, it's relatively hard to measure because you don't often meet the consumers directly. You're selling through agents and retailers and other distribution channels. But, but certainly in markets I travel to like Italy, America and Japan, most importantly, our biggest export market, which takes almost 20% of our, our business, um, everyone I meet there is, is extremely positive about the benefits of a Royal Warrant because we're able to put the Royal Warrant symbol on our swing tags, on our packaging, on our, on our uh, bags and make you know the most of advertising the fact that we've got it and that's very very clear to the consumer and everybody i meet uh, who knows about it and sees it and understands what we're doing with it um, says that it is a positive thing for our for our product and how do you see your business growing in the future do you see it as more um about home market buying more john smedley products or about more more about export i think we have a fabulous product and we know this because the consumers that we do interact with know and love John Smedley. They love it primarily for the quality, they love it for the fashion and for the colours. Um, to grow our business it's about making more people aware of John Smedley I think because once they're aware of it I think the product almost sells itself. Um, it's very very interesting in my 10 years or more with this business, um, I find that, that people fall into two camps. They either know John Smedley and they have a very strong opinion, and luckily it's mostly very positive when I hear it, um, or they've never heard of John Smedley. There is no 
kind of in between. You know, a lot of people, let's say, might have heard of Marks and Spencers even if they don't shop there. So awareness is very good for them. But for John Smedley, I think the awareness could be a lot better. And if we can get it better, I'm sure we will attract more customers for the future. It's definitely an addiction because I would say I'm now addicted to John Smedley knitwear. And I can remember when I bought my first ever one with my first big paycheck when I was a buyer from Marks and Spencers. And I hadn't heard about them, about John Smedley before, but my creative director at the time was a big fan. And I think once you've bought your first one, and I've still got mine and I still wear it, um, you're addicted and you want the same styles in every single colour. <laughs> well, well, I mean, you're absolutely right. Your story is is not not unique. I mean, I hear this from a lot of people that, that again, those people in the know love John Smedley, will talk about it. And the positive word of mouth that you get from that does bring new fans on board. And and then really it's our job to, to uh, help to move those messages out as, as much as we can uh, to, to make more people basically aware of what we do and the fact we make all our garments in, in, in England and we have done for a very long time, and we intended to do so in the future, and that we, you know, we adhere to our founders' um, uh, business model, which is to make the highest quality garments that we can, and that has served us as a good business model for over two hundred years, and I'm sure it will continue to do the same. That's brilliant, Ian. Fantastic. Well, fantastic story. Um, also, just remind me as well as we finish up here. Um, how many generations of the family are you? What because you, you are related to the original John Smedley, aren't you? Distantly, um, yeah. Don't let don't, don't make me sort of enumerate them. But but there there is eight generations, so uh, it's a lot of a lot of generations of the family have have looked after the business, and I and I can think of immediately, you know, two you can talk about. One is John Smedley himself, who who managed the business for 50 years in his lifetime and built it up to, you know, to really put in place some of the core values that we still have today, the adherence to quality, the understanding of where raw materials are coming from, the manufacturing in the UK, and also, strangely, the idea that in the wintertime, you know, you should be producing wool and in the summertime producing cotton, and you can do that on the same machinery, which was one of his, you know, real innovations. You know, I can think of him immediately, and I can also think of my great-grandfather who inherited the business when he was only nine years old because his father died suddenly and unexpectedly, and he, he came to managing the business when he was 21, and he lived to the age of 92. So he managed the business as the chairman for 70 years, which is incredible. Through the Boer War, the First World War, the Great Depression in the 1930s, the Second World War, and right up to the, the day he died in 1959, which must be some kind of UK-British record for managing a business, really. And to think that that man and all the people around him took the business through those you know, hugely challenging events, and we are still here today, you know, makes me so grateful that our generation has been able to inherit a business that's been healthy, and that we can hopefully one day pass it on to the next generation in an even better state. So what does the future hold for John Smedley then, the next, what do you foresee in the next five to 10 years? I think with our business, um, the great challenge is that we are very vertically integrated. And at the same time, we 
have all these sort of simultaneous investments to make, and it's how do you afford all these investments? You have investments in machinery and buildings and training people to make the goods. You then have investments in distribution because the world of distribution is changing. Historically, it was wholesale, but now for a brand like ours, I think retail is becoming more important. So opening a new shop in a prime location can be a quarter of a million pound investment, which is a significant investment for a very small business like ours. And the third set of investments, which have to run concurrently with everything else, is about building the brand. You know, because we make a high quality product in, in England and it's, it's a costly product to make, therefore we have to command a high price. And today, you know, um, the majority of commanding that high price is about building the brand. So the investment in the brand is a sort of third set of investments. And, that's, and that in itself is, is hugely challenging. You know, mega brands spend millions, millions of pounds on, on chasing uh, brand development and brand growth through uh, employing, you know, celebrities and famous actors and all kinds of things that they can afford to do, or whether it's sportsmen or women or whatever, to help promote their brand to the consumer. You know, we're not big enough to be able to do any of that. So how do we spend our small amount of hard-earned money to improve the John Smedley brand? Um, you know, that's three big challenges for investing in the future, which we have to do because of the way our business is structured, all at the same time. You've got your work cut out then. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> your grandfather's left you a legacy. That's right. Thank you very much. Um, finally, where can everyone find you? Where, where, If someone wants to buy a John Smedley product and find out about the brand, how would they do so? I suppose the, the modern method is to look online and uh, we're finding more and more consumers are using their, their telephones to browse websites and shop, um, moving away from the traditional PC or even the tablet. So um, johnsmedley.com, look at our website. It's not, not, not only has it got the shop there, but it's also got a lot of what we call discovery materials, you know, history about the company, about how we are sustainable, about our raw materials, about the kind of people and the training and the craftsmen. It's all there on the website. So I'd recommend people do that. Um, if you're in London, uh, we're represented in two retail stores of our own in London, uh, one at 24 Brook Street, and the other one on German Street in St. James's. And we're also in uh, Selfridges and Phoenix on Bond Street and Harrods and Harvey Nichols and various other independents as well, all of which are listed on our website. Um, so yeah, please look us up and, uh, and learn more about the John Smedley story. I can highly recommend your knitwear because it lasts a lifetime. It really does. Thank you very much, Ian. Thank you. If you're interested in discovering UK manufacturers from the fashion, textiles and homeware sectors, you should definitely come to our trade show, Make It British Live. The next event is taking place on the 29th and 30th of May 2019 at the Business Design Centre in London. With over 200 exhibitors, inspiring talks just like the ones you've been listening to on this podcast and interactive workshops, it's the perfect place to network with others that want to see UK manufacturing thrive again. Registration is now open. Just go to makeitbritishlive.com forward slash register to register for a free ticket. 
If you're a British-made manufacturer or brand and want to find out how your business can benefit from being involved in the show, just visit makeitbritishlive.com forward slash exhibit, fill out a short questionnaire, and one of my team will get straight back to you. To reach out to me personally, the best place to do this is via LinkedIn. Just look up Kate Hills and you'll find me. You'll also find me on Twitter at Make It British and Instagram at Make It British too. For all show notes for these podcasts, just go to makeitbritish.co.uk forward slash podcast and you'll find all the details. And make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing in iTunes, Stitcher or whichever is your preferred podcast app. And I really would love it if you left me a little review on iTunes. The more reviews this podcast receives, the more people will discover it and the more we can spread the word about making in the UK. Thanks once again for listening to the Make It British podcast. Bye.